few weeks ago, I gave a presentation at an organization called Limud Seattle. Limud is a citywide day of Jewish learning. They have them all across the country in various cities, and Seattle had theirs at the end of the month in January. It's great because you have people from all different kinds of backgrounds, all different kinds of observance levels, giving different kind of topics that they are experts in. So I was asked to give a discussion on lessons I learned from running for Seattle City Council while wearing a kippah. There was a videographer in the room, but unfortunately I do not have access to the video. So what I'm going to do today is give you a brief summary of the presentation I gave, which was over an hour long. This will be much, much shorter. So that way you can hear the basic concepts and ideas of what I went through when I was running for Seattle City Council. For those of you that don't know me, just a little bit about my bio. I was born and raised in New York. I went to Jewish day school my entire life. I even spent a year studying in yeshiva, which is like a seminary in Israel. I attended college at Yeshiva University. I met my wife in college. I did not know that she was a fourth generation Seattleite, which meant that in the cards was most likely me going to be moving to Seattle. I had a five-year plan to stay in New York that lasted about 11 months, and then we ended up moving to Seattle, where I started a real estate construction property management company. I joined the board of local synagogues, schools, and the cemetery board of Beaker Cholim, which is one of the larger synagogues in Seattle. I volunteered as the director of Seattle NCSY, which is a Jewish youth organization in Seattle, and I planned on doing that for about, I don't know, six months or so until they found a full-time director, so I was serving as their part-time director. Thirteen years later, I got tired of them looking and said, okay, that's been fun, but I think I'm done doing this. Even Peter Pan had to grow up at some point, at which point I did what most people do when they retire from working in youth, which is I bought a bounce house company, event rental company, which was a lot of fun. And then after that, I just continue to do what I do. I have three very cute and very short children. So how does a guy with no political aspirations or ambition whatsoever end up running for Seattle City Council? Well, it all began when I got a phone call as my role, in my role rather, on the cemetery board that people had moved in in RVs next to the cemetery, were camping next to the cemetery, and at night they were going into the cemetery, they were selling drugs, they were using drugs, they were running prostitution rings, the RVs on the side of the cemetery were dumping their waste on the grounds, they were throwing needles, we were finding needles everywhere, we were finding garbage everywhere. We were finding it on the tombstones. We are finding feces. You name it, we were finding it there. We even found people who were OD'd so bad that we thought they were dead. We had to call paramedics. And our groundskeepers, every time they had to clean up this mess, were getting pricked by the needles. You're talking about probably over about, at this point, close to somewhere between three and $400,000 worth of damage. Throughout my campaign, the number kept increasing because the problems kept getting worse and worse and worse, and local politicians were not doing anything about it. These are some examples of the stuff we found in the cemetery and around the cemetery. This individual here used to like wandering the streets naked. That's the vehicle he lived in. You can see the RVs down in the bottom right-hand corner, which were dumping stuff in our property. They even were hacking into our utilities and using our electrical and power. We found stolen goods. The second from the top right, we found stolen goods in the property all the time. The one next to that, we found needles and other 
drug paraphernalia all over the place. If you keep going across, we found needles with tar heroin, which is some of the most dangerous kind of heroin. People were sleeping in the cemeteries. People were having sex on the tombstones. You may wonder about the physics of that one, which came up. Some of the cemetery tombstones are flat. They're not the kind that go up and down, and they were on those. I don't know why they picked that instead of grass. Pretty gross. Um, yes, there was human feces in the cemetery. We know it's the difference between human and dog, and anybody who has pets can tell you the difference. It was so bad. It was so gross, and our poor groundskeepers who aren't even Jewish had to deal with this on a regular basis. If you go out to the cemetery, the reason you don't see it looking like this is because our groundskeepers are true, as we call them, righteous Gentiles. They take care of everything before anybody gets there in the morning, so they're the ones who see it. A lot of times the media would say, hey, can we come out and see it? I'd say, I'm sorry, but it got cleaned up for the day because we had a funeral. These guys go above and beyond and do a spectacular job keeping the place great for us. And this is the kind of stuff they were dealing with every single day. We asked the police for help. Their hands were tied by local government officials. So we were left to start dealing with it on our own. Things had gotten so bad at the cemetery that we weren't sure what we were going to do. So I tried contacting elected officials. Some of them outright refused to meet with us. Some of them said they would meet with us and instead sent staff instead of coming out themselves. One city council person refused to meet with us. And I said, oh, okay. So I put their phone number for their office and their email address online. And a few hours later, after the entire Jewish community had contacted them, they agreed to meet with us and nothing came of that meeting. So I realized we were going to have to deal with this ourselves. So because the police's hands were tied, I contacted some former students of mine who had spent their gap year in between high school and college serving in the Israeli Defense Forces. And I asked them if they could come watch over the veterans who come out every year to put in flags for Memorial Day with the students and the children from the synagogues because there was a real safety concern about what's going on. They happily agreed. They came out and they helped us out. And we had a massive response from the public because since the elected officials hadn't done anything about what was going on, I contacted the media and the story got picked up nationally and internationally. I even did an interview in Yiddish. I don't speak Yiddish. I speak Hebrew. I speak English. And I still, to this day, do not know what questions they were asking me. I have no idea if I was even answering the right thing. But I got some good feedback in Yiddish and some other languages as well after that went around the world. The story is so macabre. It's so weird that it really got picked up by everybody. One thing that's interesting is that one Jewish organization in particular did not like me bringing the soldiers, which is weird because Jewish organizations are used to having armed guards at synagogues and nonprofits and events because we get so many threats. I see them myself that we get the notices all the time at the synagogue. So one day the police call me and they say, Mr. Hoffman, we received a complaint on you. We heard that you plan on shooting homeless people at the cemeteries. And I said, that's the most outrageous thing in the world. And I asked who it was. I went through all the politicians I figured it was. I went through all the people who don't like me online. It turns out it was a Jewish organization in Seattle, which I will not name here, but it was really, really sad when I found that out. One thing that was amazing about this event was just how many people from the broader community came out. It wasn't just Jewish people that came out. We had over 50 attendees at the cemetery event, and any event has its up years and its down years, and usually the most we ever got was 20. It was so nice that so many people from all over Seattle and elsewhere came out to help us with this event. It was great. It was a great lesson for the kids, for helping out people you don't know. It was a great for the veterans to have so much support, and it was really a beautiful event. And if you were one of those people there, thank you so much for coming out. If you were one of the people who helped advertise and helped get the word out, thank 
thank you so much for doing that. We've really had a consistently good crowd show up the past couple of years ever since this happened. So thank you. The downside of all the media coverage was that all of a sudden we started attracting not just internet trolls, but major anti-Semites and a lot of people who were unveiling their Jewish hatred because of what was going on at the cemeteries. So when Seattle is Dying premiered, which I was in, of course, you see this little comment here on the left. Oh, it gets better. They interviewed a Zionist. For those of you who think that there's no correlation between people who hate Israel and anti-Semitism, there 100% is, and that's proof of it because the Zionist phrase here is used as a bad thing when the term Zionist just means people who want to move to Israel. BDS stands for the Boycott Divest Sanction Movement, which has been cited by the ADL and other agencies as an anti-Semitic organization. These two always go hand in hand, and all of a sudden now, Israel is becoming a topic of conversation. The other thing over here on your right, you see where it says, I also don't doubt the man cares for his community. My concern is who he considers his community. Because this common anti-Semitic trope is that Jews are insular and keep to themselves people who shun those that aren't of his ilk. What does that even mean? I'm talking about protecting some cemeteries. I'm not bothering anybody. Of course, it gets worse. The quote at the bottom, you should pave over the cemeteries and build homeless shelters on them. This kept coming up again and again and again, and not from the same person. Variations of this phrase, and this is ironic because this is exactly what the Nazis did to Jewish cemeteries in Germany and other parts of Europe. This Anybody who's seen Schindler's List knows that scene when they're walking on a street made up of the headstones. This is exactly what the Jordanians did to parts of Jerusalem when they had when they were occupying that part of Israel. This became more and more common. This comment I must have received at least three, four dozen times on various media sites whenever the story got posted. So when elected officials won't help you, the media has done all it can, and you've hired armed guards. There's not many options you have left. One thing to note about the media helping out so much and what was so great about it was every time a different network covered it, they... Um, came out and interviewed the people living at the cemeteries or living on the streets, and those people moved along because they didn't want the media attention. So I made it my job to make sure as many media outlets covered this as possible because it helped us keep the place clean for a week, for two weeks, whatever it was, and our groundskeepers desperately needed that break. But after a while, the story ran its course, and the elected officials weren't interested anymore, and it felt like nobody was listening, and we were back to the same old thing. So when you've exhausted all your other options, we only have had really one left to try. So I figured if you can't beat them, join them, and I decided to run for Seattle City Council. And I didn't really know what I was in for. I knew the anti-Semitic stuff would come up. I knew that I would get attacked for politics, but I didn't realize just how bad it was about to get. This was a relatively new term for me called gaslighting, which means manipulate someone by psychological means into questioning their own sanity. As much as I got attacked, sometimes I began to wonder, am I the crazy one? What is going on here? Why are all these people coming after me? This is a city council race, and they were attacking me like I was running for president of the United States. 
For those of you unfamiliar with the term gaslighting, you can look at the side here and I'll read it along with you. People will tell blatant lies about you. They deny they ever said something, even though you have proof. They use what is near and dear to you as ammunition, like family members. We'll get to that. They wear you down over time. Their actions do not match their words. So, for example, if they claim to be tolerant and progressive, they're usually anything but. They throw in positive reinforcement to confuse you. We'll cover that, too. They know that confusion weakens people. They project, what that means is the stuff that they do, they say you are doing. They try to align people against you. They tell you or others that you are crazy, and they tell you everyone else is a liar. You can decide after the end of this presentation if what happened to me fits the term of gaslighting, if it's just anti-Semitism, or if it's just politics in general. Everybody's entitled to their own opinion. Always happy to have that discussion. This is one of the first examples of pushback that we got when the campaign launched. This was an email that was sent to my wife from a place called Raconteur that's in Seward Park. I don't think they realized they were talking to my wife. If you look at the language in this thing, you can see how they're referring to me. But this was what was most entertaining to me. If you go down a few lines, um, the major communication has been their discontent with the political platform of Mr. Hoffman and the fact that it seems incongruous that Raconteur would support him by hosting an event for him at our establishment. Cancel culture had kicked in, and just because I had rented a place, they decided that it was their job to stop it. And my campaign had barely kicked off at this point. I hadn't launched a platform. My website was barely working at this time, but all of a sudden people were coming after me because they had in their mind that I was evil and must be destroyed because I'm the guy who wanted to stop the, cem the cemeteries from being desecrated. And this continued and continued. But what was disappointing to me is that some places caved and some places didn't. Raconteur did not cave. They had their policy in place. It was a private event, but other places did cave. And it was unfortunate that these people who were the opposition it's okay to disagree with somebody. That's perfectly fine. This is my idea. This is your idea. But these people were determined, these ones who claim to represent free speech and anti-fascists and all this other stuff they claim to be, do not want any opinion that isn't theirs being heard. This was a game I like to play during the campaign when I got these posts. If I just took them all seriously, I'd probably have lost my mind. We started playing a game called, is it ignorance or is it anti-Semitism? Just this little quote here from Jeff Jacoby from the Boston Globe in 2009. Anti-Semitism is an ancient derangement, the oldest of hatreds, so it is strange that it lacks a more meaningful name. I call it Jew hatred. What's interesting is the New York Times recently published a piece when they were questioned about why they don't report anti-Semitism as much as they report other kinds of hate crimes as they said it doesn't fit a narrative that means it transcends all races all religions one thing that's interesting is according to fbi crime stats the majority of hate crimes 58 percent are committed against jews the majority of those are committed by other minorities against jews that clearly does not fit the narrative that's a bunch of white supremacists doing all this because it's just clearly not the case There's going to be a lot of screenshots throughout the rest of this presentation, and when I show you the screenshots, know that I got tons more that were critical of policy. I have no problem with people disagreeing with me on policy. In fact, one of the things I made a center point, centerpiece rather, of my campaign was that I would sit down and talk to anybody. I would engage with anybody. Unfortunately, very few people took me up on it because people were content to just bash me. But when I show you these screenshots, know that many of them have duplicates. And I don't mean the same person posting over and over again, but I mean people 
people posting similar things. They definitely sent the bots after me, but there were a lot of people with these kind of feelings. If I put all of them into this presentation, it would take hours to get through to show you every single one of them. So I just picked the ones that demonstrate the type I was getting at that time. So for example, if you look at the one on the left, love for Palestine, I knew that kind of stuff would start coming my way, the anti-Israel stuff, but I love how they phrase it. I almost wish that I could move to District 2 so I could vote against this rabid Zionist, rabid Zionist, running for Seattle City Council. Once again, showing there is, of course, a link between anti-Semitism and anti-Israel, and anybody who tells you different is lying. Look at the hashtags, Israel, stop funding Israel, BDS. Seattle does not get to control foreign policy for the U.S. government. The Seattle City Council has no say in that whatsoever. So it's interesting that this kind of stuff came up. Why did it come up? Because I was Jewish. Look to the right. My Seattle people do not elect this person. Hashtag BDS. The boycott, divest, sanction movement is an anti-Semitic movement, and this would keep occurring throughout the campaign. This is a quote that I began to say over and over and over again because it wasn't just the political hacks or internet trolls that got involved in the hate and the anti-Semitism, but it was actually the print media. While the TV and radio media had been amazing and fantastic, the print media left something to be desired. And we saw how many activists are actually working in print media and why print media is struggling so much to survive because that's who's running the show and they're not very interesting. They're just filled with a lot of hate. So this quote by Mark Twain goes, if you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read the newspaper, you're misinformed. And some of these slides you will see are from actual reporters for some of these publications. Of course, the one that hated me the absolute most was The Stranger. The This began with, in my opinion, what happened was I was running ads in The Stranger for my bounce house company for an event we were having for kids. And then I discovered that these ads were being run next to ads for services for child predators. And I thought this was a really bad look and a really bad scene. I didn't realize they were running those kind of ads in their magazine and that it may put kids at risk. So I pulled the advertising. And that's when the attack started. How did they start? They started by looking like legitimate news stories. Here's something that everybody's been discussing in the news. Facebook banning political ads in Washington state. What really happened was the attorney general of Washington state, Bob Ferguson, decided that Donald Trump had won the election because of Facebook ads and made it his goal to make sure they couldn't run in Washington state, even though in Seattle, I believe Trump lost 90% of the vote or only got like 8% of the vote in Seattle. So he was determined to do whatever he could to stop this from happening. So they started banning ads in Washington state. But here's the interesting thing is Facebook kept selling the ads. So I kept buying them and so did a few other people. They only went after the stranger rather, only went after people who they didn't like. The candidates that they did like, they didn't report their ads, but they started running articles about who was running them, who wasn't, and it was always people they disagreed with, and I became one of the number one focal points for this. They continued to attack me, but let the other candidates go. So in effect, they weaponized the Facebook ad ban and they kept targeting me. So anytime I ran an ad, they would report on it or they'd report it to Facebook and then the ad would be taken down, but the other ones were allowed to run. 
it would be one thing if they were just going after my Facebook ads, but then the attacks got personal. They started coming after me. They started coming after my company. One day, the stranger wrote an article that mentioned my name. It had a lot of cussing in it, and I don't go for cussing on my social media. So I took screenshots of the article, sliced it up, said why I posted it that way, and in the upper center, you see this thing where they said, F you. That was their social media responding to what I did. That was their response. Very mature. Of course, they have a problem. They call themselves Seattle on, Seattle's only newspaper, and we know they are anything but. Whether that's a joke or not, who knows? But the stranger definitely has a problem with anti-Semitism as well that we'll get to it in a in a moment. But they had this weird obsession with me. They started going after my company. They even grabbed this picture here over in the right corner, Ari Hoffman's solution to the housing crisis with an inflatable bounce house as a house that may have been clever if i hadn't posted that thing six months before as a joke on my own page and plus i wrote after that wouldn't work they don't hold up well to needles and sharps because as we know this is a drug problem on our streets not a homeless problem they didn't like that very much and things just ensued from there anytime i went on a different radio station they got mad at me about it if it was conservative the leftists were not inviting me on their podcast that often i think i got invited on two out of the ones that exist so they weren't inviting me for interviews. The stranger never wanted to interview me with regard to my campaign. They definitely wanted to interview my opponents, so they just kept attacking me. In fact, these attacks continue today. Whereas in their end-of-the-year event in January, or end-of-the-year issue in January, they even wrote that I am one of the most regrettable things in Seattle of 2019. These guys just do not get it, and we'll get to their anti-Semitic comments later. This guy, Day Hawkins, however many names he has, however he pronounces his name, really became obsessed with me, and it turns out he was a political operative for one of my opponents. Then he got himself hired by Crosscut, which claims to be mainstream Judaism, but they are really a leftist hack magazine. I met with the um, overall editor-in-chief a long time ago trying to sort this out, trying to solve this, and I thought we walked away with a resolution, but still they're not covering anti-Semitism in any meaningful way. They seem to ignore that, but they jump on any other social activist cause, social justice cause. So you judge for yourself, but they hired this guy. Now, if you look at the center slide, what's interesting is this guy is actually using an old blood libel, one of the original ones of anti-Semitism in France, about Jacques and the Dreyfus affair, to accuse me of making up things about him, even though I had nothing to do with any of this. We were such a fuss over this, eventually Crosscut would not have him comment on this race, but they did have him comment on other things in Seattle. What's more troubling is that articles from the Seattle Times, from the Patch, from the Emerald, from these other places were using some of these activist trolls and even going to them as sources and asking them for the questions that they should attack my campaign with. And you can see that in some of these other comments here. This is the kind of stuff that started becoming the narrative of these publications. As I mentioned earlier, we discussed, is it ignorance or is it anti-Semitism? Some people just don't realize some of the things they say, like calling up Jew, a Nazi fascist whose family was killed by Nazi fascist, we consider that anti-Semitic, we consider that offensive, but some people don't realize it because they're so ignorant of Holocaust history. In fact, the studies are showing that less and less people know the facts of what actually happened. So as we go through these next few slides, keep that in mind and think to yourself, is, is this ignorance or is it anti-Semitism? And you can decide for yourselves. I'm open to having that discussion with anybody because a lot of times it's ignorance, but some of it is just flat out Jew hatred.
Let's take this quote as an example. This person says, in his youth group at synagogue, I'm curious what he's done outside of his bubble. Now, if that said outside of his African-American bubble, Hispanic bubble, would that be considered racist? Eh, could go either way. What if I told you that the person who wrote this is also a person who stole yard signs from my campaign? What if I told you that every time this person drives past me because they do live in my neighborhood, they give me the finger and all they do is rip me online and rip me online. I don't know what their problem was. I don't know how I ever wronged this person. All I did was once they admitted online to stealing my campaign signs, I reported them because it's theft. And it may be a nothing burger to take guard signs. It may be acceptable behavior in some circles to do that in politics. But this person admitted it. And one night during the campaign, 30 yard signs disappeared from my neighborhood. There's a video of it. And they were all from Jewish houses. I'm sorry, take that back. Two of them were not Jewish houses. And Jews are really freaked out by this because they said, by putting these yard signs, are we making ourselves a target for anti-Semites? And that became a discussion during the rest of the campaign. Can we openly support Ari? Or are we subjecting ourselves to attacks? Here's an example, and you can decide if these are ignorance or anti-Semitism. But if you look in the top left corner, where it says by the handle Leftist for Bernie 2020, hello, you effing bootlicker. Or below that one, oh, another advocate of final solution on Ari's page. You are collecting some real winners here, Ari. Nobody ever advocated for a final solution in any way, shape, or form. Nobody ever advocated for a Holocaust or rounding people up despite what you may have heard. That is the kind of stuff that kept coming up and coming up these accusations. And what's ironic about this is I did not know that my family actually were survivors of the Holocaust. It was one of those things that my parents' generation or my grandparents' generation had decided to keep as a secret from the kids because they didn't want to frighten the children. That's actually kind of common in Jewish circles. Some people are very open about it and talking about their experiences, and some people don't want to talk about it at all. But you can see the kind of stuff, if you look at these slides, of what they started saying, started threatening attacks, started saying I was involved in the Holocaust and final solutions and hate groups. This is the kind of stuff that I started getting more and more frequently. Now, if you look at these, the national conversation started influencing Seattle politics. This is the kind of stuff you see all over the place. In fact, I think the person in the top left corner actually was a supporter, but then they started using the words like dual citizenship. And if you look through these, almost always they misspell dual, almost always they misspell Israel. And what's funny is they are literally parroting, sorry about that. They're literally parroting words used by Ilhan Omar and other people like Rashida Tlaib as part of the national conversation and their attacks against me. Words have an impact and people who don't know anything will continue to pick it up and spread it. If you look at these things down here in the bottom right, have you had to sign a pledge to Israel while running for office? What are your feelings on the ADL, Anti-Defamation League? What are your feelings of the Southern Poverty Law Center? People talking about me stealing checks out of their uh, mailboxes. Crazy accusations talking about how it's so frightening and it's like the Nazis that we see his yard signs in the neighborhood from the people who stole my yard signs. This dude needs to be visited from Antifa. This is the kind of stuff they start doing. This is not civil discourse. This is attacks. This is hatred. 
some of them I started to find entertaining, like this one in the top left corner here where the guy tried to spoil the Avengers movie for me and still making a comment of Free Palestine. So once again, that stuff started cropping up. I picked these because they demonstrate what was going on. Or here, down here, somebody's reiterating a conversation they heard on the light rail. Some goddamn Jew. You tell me if you think that's anti-Semitic or not. Once again, the idea, this is actually the one I discussed in the last slide. Somebody accusing me of stealing checks out of mailboxes, which never happened. That's just somebody accusing me of nonsense. This is all the kind of stuff where people were overhearing anti-Semitism or saying it themselves, and it went unchecked. A very few people were calling it out except for me. And it made me wonder, why am I the only one seeing it? So people in the media weren't calling it out. Luckily, some neighborhood groups had my back and they were defending me. And for defending me and helping me out, they were called hate groups. Yes, for defending the Jew, they were hate groups. That was ironic and sad all at the same time. There were many people out there who were saying this stuff is awful, but a lot of the media did not want to touch this. Meanwhile, people are threatening in these slides here to come to the cemetery and stop me from getting rid of the people that were desecrating the cemetery, treating the homeless as if they were Palestinians, BDS, threatening to attack me, threatening to kill me. In fact, the police in Tacoma went and visited one of these guys when we found out who he was, and then of course he threatens me more. Anti-Semitic is fake, bottom right, just like Israel. You are an effing tool. Anti-Israel is not anti-Semitic. Yes, it is. Here, upper left, like I mentioned before, just think how many affordable housing units could be built on the land those cemeteries occupy. It never stopped. This just kept coming and coming and coming. This is really just more of the same, nothing new here, more of the anti-Israel hatred, more of the attacks, more of the comparisons to the Holocaust and Kristallnacht. This stuff did not stop. And these people just, they have taken the meaning out of the word Nazi when they keep using it to describe anybody they don't like. They don't understand the horrors of the Holocaust. They don't understand that it killed two-thirds of European Jewry, which was a big chunk of the Jews on the planet at the time. Six million Jews died in the Holocaust, two million of them children. One of the most horrifying things that keeps coming up is that 10 million people total died in the Holocaust, and some of them were saying it was only four because they're Holocaust deniers, and start talking about how the six million Jews never actually died in the Holocaust. They just moved to New York, or they got diseases because they didn't have vaccines back then. These are the kind of comments that Holocaust deniers that anti-Israel guys used to support their narrative, and it kept coming up throughout the campaign. It was never ending. It just went on and on and on. Top right corner where it talks about me answering to overseas puppet masters. That's a not-so-subtle hint at Israel controlling my actions, even though I'm an American citizen. The people discussion about how I'm a well-funded fascist. All this discussion continuing on comparing me to Nazi white supremacists. Yes, the Jewish guy whose family was killed by the Nazis is actually a Nazi white supremacist. I did love the people that called me an anti-Semite as an observant Jew. That one was at least marginally entertaining. So this is something interesting. The Facebook ads attracted not only supporters, but also a lot of detractors. So it really is a freedom of speech issue when you start getting rid of them because people can come on and say whatever they want. One of the people I picked up because of this is, I wouldn't even call him a D-list celebrity. I'd call him an F-list celebrity in Seattle. It's a comedian who's not very funny, whose name is Brett Hamill. 
Brad Hamill is not Jewish, but has admitted before on his social media that he has pretended to be Jewish. In fact, he even goes to a synagogue. And the synagogue he goes to is one run by a rabbi in Seattle who is one of the most well-known anti-Israel activists. So if you want to tell me that anti-Semitism and anti-Israel does not go hand in hand, yet another example of how that is just not true. Look at this guy calling me one of the worst people in Seattle in 2019. Though I do like a lot of the people on this list. There is one person, David Meinart, who has some horrible, horrible things said about him. But he's got the mayor on there. This is what radical leftists, violent extremists do. They hate everybody who doesn't agree with everything they say. There's some pretty liberal people on this list. But because they don't agree with the socialist philosophy, they're just awful. If you look around at this kind of stuff, this guy commonly called me a fascist and would get businesses to try and boycott or sorry, businesses that funded my campaign or supported my campaign or people I was friends with. He would try and get people to boycott them. Yes, this is real open expression. This is real tolerance and progressiveness. So this is the kind of person that we start picking up. And this is a person who clearly is a massive, massive Jew hating person. Regardless of what affiliations or relatives he has, one of these people who claims, I got Jewish relatives, I got Jewish friends, please. That's one of the oldest excuses in the book. Plus, there are people that do not like their own backgrounds, like the rabbi who this guy claims to be a disciple of. Another one of these social justice activists who got attracted by the Facebook ads and the woke brigade was a guy who's a white failed barista and rapper who is a massive anti-Semite. It seems like all he does is tweet about people he doesn't like, attack people. He actually got fired for insulting customers at the coffee shop he worked at. And it seems like he's really obsessed with me and with trashing anything Jewish and the Jewish state. He thanks Antifa. He actually has a few good ones here. So one of them is top right corner. Israel has failed to produce even one bit of evidence that shows Hamas was responsible for the kidnapping of those three Israelis last month. What he is referencing is three boys were kidnapped by terrorists and executed and murdered. This is what he is celebrating online. Talking about, it's very strange how upset everyone is over 13 dead Israeli soldiers given the hundreds of Palestinian death over the last two weeks. Yeah, that's not accurate. In fact, most of the things he says here, you can Google for yourself and find out aren't accurate. Here he's in the center. He's targeting ICE employees locally. Here at the bottom, you can see that Bernie Sanders isn't even woke enough for him. Bernie is, of course, a far left socialist bordering on communist, and he doesn't like any affiliation he has with Israel. And most Jews would agree that Bernie is definitely not an Israel supporter. And then, of course, in the top left, remember a few months ago when Israel took away any legal recourse that Gazans had to fight their oppression? Rockets seem reasonable. This is a guy who thinks it's OK to attack civilians with rockets and doesn't understand the first thing about the Middle East conflict. This is who we're discussing here. Though we shouldn't be too hard on Spork here because, after all, I had plenty of friends who are failed white rappers in middle school. If you look at his tweets about me and his comments about me, once again doing the exact same MO as Hamill and others of trying to get boycotts against places that supported my campaign, targeting people's businesses, coming after me. This guy attacked me so often. Either he's a raging anti-Semite or in a past life I broke up with him in high school because he's really behaving like somebody who's just flat out obsessed. I mean, this is bordering on fatal attraction here, but here he is rallying together with Antifa and they're the ones who actually start pushing death threats 
parts on my family and he's celebrating them. A lot of local left publications and even some that claim they're centrist, like The Patch, like The Seattle Times, were quoting this guy and using him as a source when it is clear that he is an anti-Semite and obviously some kind of bone to pick with me, not really sure why. Speaking of Antifa, Spork is the one who was corresponding with them and sharing all my stuff with them, and they're the ones who started targeting my family. You can see that they were threatening me online and starting to come after me. And Antifa claims to be anti-fascist. It seems that they're just anti-anybody who disagrees with them. They are the extremist, far-left, violent extremists that will protest, that will threaten, that will assault people. You can Google them. You'll find tons of videos online. But what's more amazing to me is how few on the left will actually condemn these guys and their actions and how many of them appreciate their support. So this is really the new mouthpiece for the left in this country. And that's a scary, scary thing, given their tactics. Just do some Google searching. You'll find them beating people up, assaulting reporters, harassing old people crossing the street. This is their MO. And these are the people who started coming after me and my family. Anti-Semites go to extraordinary lengths to demonstrate their anti-Semitism. A few months ago, there was an event called Intersectional Dialogue on Weaponizing Anti-Semitism. Translation from woke speak is really, this is an event to justify that they're allowed to speak anti-Semitic remarks and you are not allowed to call them out for it. Jason Rance, a conservative talk show host in Seattle, <clears throat> got a hold of one of the organizers and one of the PR people for the NAACP, who was an organizer of this event and a co-sponsoring agency. In the discussion and in the interview, which you can find on MyNorthwest.com, the PR person for the NAACP says that they were contacted by Ilhan Omar's office in advance of her visit to Seattle to organize an event like this because Ilhan Omar, Representative Ilhan Omar, has been dogged with allegations of anti-Semitism because of comments she has made like the Jews have hypnotized the world and it's all about the Benjamins, some of the worst anti-Semitic tropes. This is what they do. They make comments acceptable. They make anti-Semitism acceptable. This is what they do. The worst part is they didn't reach out to anybody in the Jewish community for this. They went to the rabbi I mentioned before, the extremist anti-Israel guy who has actually flown to Israel to assault Israeli soldiers before. That's who they had on this panel. And what's worse is you started seeing the verbiage that came out of this, which was live stream, so I did see it. They started using the verbiage to attack me anytime I would call out their anti-Semitic attacks. This is a fun quote from the movie The Dark Knight, but the fact that they're trying to kill you means that we're getting to them. What this really is, is a more pop culture version of a Winston Churchill quote that says, you have enemies, good, it means you stood up for something in your life. But the fact that they started sending death threats after my family is when this thing really started going off the rails. It was the Jewish holiday of Shavuos. Over the Jewish Sabbath and Jewish holidays, I am out of commission for the entire period. It means no electronics, no email, no phone, nothing. So I'm completely off the grid. I came home one day from synagogue on a three-day holiday, which means for 72 hours, I was completely out of commission. And on the last day, with about, I don't know, 10, 12 hours left of the holiday, there was a note on my door from Seattle Police Department that says, we've been trying to get a hold of you. Please contact us. Imagine eight hours of your life sitting there wondering what is going on, why the police want to talk to you, and you can't do anything to find out why. It turned out that memory 
I forget what their acronym stands for, but they keep an eye on things going on the internet that are threats to Jews and threats to Israel. They had found a threat on 8chan, which is a known white supremacist hate site against me and my family, talking about various ways to kill us. This is where a city council had gone to, that I was getting death threats online. However, the most disturbing thing about the death threats, aside from the anti-Semitic slurs they used against my children and the threats to kill all of us and the various ways they described doing that, was the fact that it actually came from the far left because just a few days later, a person traced the same IP address, posted again saying they only did this so that they could stir up the Nazis against me. So because of politics, because they didn't like what I had to say, they went on and went to a website which has inspired shootings before where shooters have actually gone and posted the things they did like the Poe Synagogue and other horrible events. I posted on this website. They went there to try to turn people against me and my family all because of politics and Jew hatred. At this point, really nothing surprised me anymore. Once you have the FBI involved, things have really gone in a direction you didn't really want to take them in. But here's something interesting. The person claimed that they were my neighbor, the person who posted these death threats. What happened was in a lot of the interviews I did, a lot of this was going on in the spring and summertime, news reporters would come to my house and they would see the Israeli flag outside my house and ask to do the interview in front of the Israeli flag. This happened on numerous occasions. So this person talks about the Israeli flag on my house as the inspiration for why I deserve to die and said they were one of my neighbors. Now, you should know on my block, a bunch of the houses are empty because people have died and some people have moved out in the middle of divorce and the rest of them are Jewish. So it's clearly not one of my neighbors that did this, but the person claimed to be my neighbor. The stranger, in their typical anti-Semitic, awful fashion, decided it was funny to mock death threats against my family and add Ari Hoffman's neighbor to the list of the people who are in charge of endorsements for the primary election of Seattle City Council. I typically do not like labels. I really do not like saying a person fits in one mold or another because so many people supported the campaign who are across different political ideologies. I have friends from across different political ideologies. And when you can have a conversation with a person, you almost always come to a middle ground. 80% of the stuff that people have on a local level that they're dealing with, they can come to a conclusion about. The 20% is usually controlled by national stuff and they have no say over anyway, and they can argue back and forth, but nobody's ever gonna convince anybody of the other's position. There's of course that fun graphic that pops up from time to time on social media where it's a pie chart and it's only one color. So let's say it's red. And so there's two colors in the key on the side and one is red and the other one is green. And it says green demonstrates people convinced of something because of an argument on Facebook and red shows people are still ticked off at each other even more so than when they began. And that's how most social media things end. But in this case, there was a screaming loud hypocrisy in the way that the left treated death threats against me, the way that the left responded to all of these attacks on my family and how other people responded to them. What made this worse was, typically was a hate crime of any sort in Seattle, elected officials are quick to virtue signal and jump on top of it and condemn everything as fast as they quickly can. 
The mayor did no such thing. The mayor did not condemn the death threats against my family. And in fact, I had plenty of time to tweet about Donald Trump and tweet about Orca Wales rather than saying anything about my family. The American Jewish Committee was one of the few Jewish organizations that immediately came out and said, you need to do something about this and demanded the mayor take action. It would be eight days before the mayor would issue any type of response to this. It was under duress almost, and she only sent it to the AJC and said to them, do whatever you want with it. She didn't put it on her social media. She didn't put it on her uh, emails, on her website, nothing. And nobody called her out for this. Meanwhile, none of the elected city, Seattle City Council members said anything about it. No politicians in our area said anything about it. Why? Because we have one party rule in Washington of the Democrat Party, Socialist Far Left Party, and apparently I'm a threat to that. So threats against my family are not legitimate to condemn, and we just want them to go away. What does that say about how they treat Jews in the city? If you want to see the clear double standard demonstrated, Sean Scott was a hardcore socialist bordering on communist who was running for Seattle City Council in a different district. Somebody took one of his yard signs and defaced it with a derogatory racial slur. That's horrible. That should be condemned. Within hours of that being posted online, every Seattle City Council member, the mayor, everybody issued statements about how horrible this is and how they will not stand for this. Was it because of my politics or because I was Jewish that they didn't condemn the attacks against me and my family, but they did condemn the ones against this other candidate? This is the person who they were so quick to condemn the threats against. When asked on his endorsement form, which all candidates have to fill out by various organizations, this one is from the Democrat Socialist of America. One of their questions is, do you support the boycott, divest, sanctions, BDS movement, which we know is anti-Semitic? Wholly and unequivocally, Sean Scott answered, BDS is the least we could do to support the Palestinian people currently suffering under the apartheid state of Israel. People who call Israel an apartheid state have never been there and do not understand what's going on in Israel. Palestinian Arabs have the exact same rights that Israeli Arabs do, dealing with Gaza, dealing with West Bank. The people under Palestinian state control are the ones who are trying to blow up Israel and are brainwashed in their schools to hate Jews and Israelis. Claiming that's an apartheid state is ridiculous when you have Arab Palestinian uh, parliament members in the Knesset, when you have judges, when they can be in the army, it's a ridiculous claim. And yet Sean Scott was endorsed by many of the democratic organizations in Seattle. He also works with Jewish Voice for Peace, which is a well-known anti-Israel hate group, which has ties to terrorism and was recently hired as the field coordinator for Washington State for the Bernie Sanders campaign, which has a history and a track record of hiring anti-Semites and allying with anti-Semites and letting them speak on behalf of the campaign. So what does it say that the Seattle City Council and the mayor were so quick to support him and not the Jewish guy who got actual death threats? The most upsetting thing is that these radical, violent extremists are now the ones who are running our local political parties. So for example, the King County Young Democrats, for the first time in their history, issued an edict, do not vote for Ari Hoffman under any circumstances. That was their endorsement for the primary. They said they have never issued that before in their history. And when I first saw it, I thought for sure they were talking about Donald Trump. And instead, it came out about me. They were very proud of this. They bragged to the stranger about it. And then they claimed that I had every opportunity to talk to them. And one of the reasons they didn't 
endorse me and that they issued this instead is because I never met with them. I never came to any of their events. First of all, I did go to events of the 37th District Democrats, but the King County Young Democrats, in fact, did invite me and wouldn't allow my staff to speak at their events. So check out this video in the next slide. I want to thank every candidate that has made it out. Ari's not invited, so that's why he's not here. Um, so anyway, Marvin, Marvin, sit down. Oh, also, one last announcement before we call up District 2 candidates. We have our endorsements meeting coming up May 19th, and as King County Young Democrats, we are unique in that most Democratic organizations say you can only endorse Democrats, and if you wanted to endorse someone who identifies as another party, you'd have to do no, no endorsement. Our board, four years ago, voted to not do that. You can endorse anybody that you agree with their values. Instead, let's move on to District 2, and I know I see Tammy Morales. Chris Pobera and Phyllis Porter. Thank you very much for three of you coming out. We will have the same format again. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> <laughs> Alright. <laughs> Why are you invited? Anyway. When you consider the other people who are running in the campaign, the fact that I was the one who got the do not vote for under any circumstances was pretty surprising given who else was in the race. This is from Christopher Paguero. He is an employee over at Seattle City Light and was also running in the District 2 primary. This is what it says about him. Christopher Paguero is in a unique position at City Light, one that was born from his motivation to provide a voice for underrepresented groups in our community. As City Light's environmental equity advisor, I don't even know what that means or what he does. Christopher uses the city's race and social justice initiative as a tool to implement a cultural shift in the way that the city light does business. As the founder of the city of Seattle's sequel affinity group, Christopher also advocates workplace equality for all city employees, regardless of gender identity or sexual orientation. That sounds lovely. That sounds nice. Let's see what Chris is actually all about. Turns out that Mr. Perguero is actually a massive racist. He does not like white people at all. In the U.S., only white people can be racist. Look, just read these here. This is his words from his social media. All he does is hate on white people. This is a person who's in charge of social equity or whatever else it is at Seattle City Light. If you look at this thing with the Black Panther down here in the bottom right, one of the things that bothers me about it, isn't that the dream? There's an African-American superhero and... We have kids dressing up as them for Halloween and stuff. Isn't that what you want? You want the kids putting on that mask and being that character because that's their hero? Isn't that what we should be striving for? People, white people, listening to the Black Panther soundtrack because they like the movie so much? Isn't that full equality and you're hating on that? No, Christopher is just racist against white people. Also, when I got the death threats, Christopher came up to me and didn't really know what to say and just kind of looked at me awkwardly and went, uh, eh, uh, sorry. That was the extent of it. At least some of the other candidates said something about it. One of them even wrote a condemnation. But really? This is who you are? This is where you're at? Another person who was in the race was Omar Tahir Garrett. You may know that name because he went to jail for bashing a former mayor of Seattle in the face with a megaphone. He's also the guy who told 
Ian Eisenberg, who is a Jewish pot shop owner in Seattle, to go back to Germany so the Nazis could get him. This is also a guy who has spewed anti-Asian comments. Go back to Asia. You belong in Asia. This is the kind of stuff this guy says. But Ari Hoffman is the guy that got the do not issue on uh, do not vote for under any circumstances issued against him by the King County Young Democrats, the very tolerant people that they are. Well, I lost the election, and that was disappointing. Seattle had a choice, and they voted to actually make the status quo worse, and that's unfortunate. Was it because of all this stuff? Probably not. It's probably because a lot of people still aren't engaged. The people who see what's going on in the streets of Seattle do not realize who's to blame for it and that this is actually created by our politicians. This is not something that just happens, and they voted to make the status quo worse, as I mentioned earlier. And what's interesting about that is even though I lost, the attacks continued. In fact, they continue to this day. I'm recording this in February. I gave this speech in January. And still the attacks are coming. So what do they worry about? Because I'm not a politician anymore. So that removes the political argument that this is just about my politics. This is about something more than that. They don't like me because I'm Jewish. They don't like me because of who I am. And that's why they keep coming after me, these very progressive and tolerant people. Just a couple of weeks after the primary, there were anti-Semitic posters found on the doors of the synagogues in Seward Park in Seattle. Not a single condemnation from any elected officials, no response from the mayor's office, city council's office, any of the newly elected or I'm sorry, not elected, any of the candidates in the primary, nothing. So Regina Freeland is a friend of mine and works for the AJC, the American Jewish Committee, and wrote an op-ed in the Seattle Times talking about why is it that these things are not going noticed? Because what happened over the holiday of Sukkot or Booz, as it's called, which is in October, I bet you didn't hear about this in the media. The only one who reported on it was the Post Millennial, which is a Canadian newspaper. There was a guy who was an activist from Antifa, an African-American gentleman, you can see him in that picture dead center, who actually followed and threatened and assaulted a rabbi in downtown Seattle and his friend. This didn't make any news. There were no condemnations. Nothing was issued. Is it because he's a member of Antifa, which is really the mouthpiece and radical arm of the left? Or is it because he's an African-American? But either way, nobody condemned it. This guy is a hate monger. This guy is a terrorist. This guy is an agitator, and nobody said anything about it. Meanwhile, Jews are under attack across the country. There's a rise in anti-Semitism, and nobody around here says anything unless it's politically convenient for them to do so. Around the same time as these Jewish holidays, there was another holiday called the Jewish holiday of Yom Kippur, the Jewish Day of Atonement, another day where I was completely offline and unavailable. Just a few days before this, I was dealing with the problems at the cemeteries again, and now I had no options left. Elected officials weren't doing anything. The police hands were tied. I had lost the primary. So what I have left, threats. And I said, if they didn't get rid of the RVs from the Jewish cemeteries and from my office, I was going to tow them myself with a friend's tow truck. Was I actually going to do this? No. Did I think it would make for good media fodder and maybe they might listen to me thinking I was crazy enough to do it? Yes. What I was actually going to do was buy a bunch of RVs at auction and drop them in front of the city council members' houses because you can get these things anywhere from $25 to $100, and I don't care about the fines. Let them hit me with this. This would illustrate what was going on so much worse. In fact, I even discussed the idea with Dory Monson because towing these things with people inside them is a major, major problem. You could hurt people. The things can come detached. The things are falling apart. They're health hazards. But anyway, I had this idea. 
what happened? Somebody dropped one of these RVs, very much like the one in this picture. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. The one in this picture. They dropped it in front of Lisa Herbold's house, who is a council member in West Seattle. Lisa Herbold and I have had our differences, but she was not the prime focus of my criticism. So in the middle of the night, somebody dropped one of these things in front of her house. And this was over the holiday of Yom Kippur, so I had no idea this was going on. Immediately, I was blamed for it. And it was covered by the media, so much so that 25 hours later, when I finally answered my phone again, there were hundreds of missed calls, hundreds of missed emails, everybody asking if I was the one who did it. The only one who was saying I didn't was Dory Monson, because I had mentioned to him that I'm celebrating Yom Kippur, and I would be back in touch with him in a few days. But everybody assumed it was me. And something more disturbing came out of this. Turns out that Lisa Herbold, city council member, was coordinating with this anti-Semitic blogger rapper that we mentioned before. That picture in the bottom left-hand corner was actually taken in front of Lisa Herbold's house by either Lisa or her neighbor, because there's questions about whether she actually lives in this house, and sent to this guy, Spork. She sent it to him, and he went on this whole tirade about how I did it with no proof whatsoever. They just assumed it was me without verifying anything. Then later they say, oh, it wasn't Ari. No, you didn't confirm it wasn't me. I was in the synagogue. There's no way of confirming it was or wasn't me. But they ran with that assumption, and our elected officials are coordinating with anti-Semites like him because I recently did a public disclosure request, which I got after the presentation that I'm giving here, and I'll be releasing them soon. And the texts actually show that Lisa Herbold was the one sending all this over to this guy. In fact, she also called the police department and tried to get the police chief to take care of this. And she was telling constituents in emails that it was a political stunt and that I was the one behind it. So nice public disclosure request. We can find out what they're actually saying about you. The day after the primary, I wasn't in the best mood, and I got a phone call from 60 Minutes. So that's back in August. I got a phone call from 60 Minutes and telling me that Anderson Cooper was going to be in town doing a story on the homeless situation in Seattle. So he came out. I gave them a tour of everything. I spent two days with the 60 Minutes crew, one day with Anderson Cooper. It was about an hour and a half long interview in my living room. Very charming guy, very nice people. I gave them all the stats. They wanted everything. They ran with 13 seconds of me saying I had to get needles off baseball fields. Great. They left out all the studies and surveys because they were trying to paint the picture that this is a housing affordability crisis, not a drug problem, not a mental health problem. Okay, that's their narrative. Fine. I sat on these pictures for months. So the story ended up airing on 60 Minutes around Thanksgiving time. So let's see. August, September, October, November, four months I sat on these pictures, didn't post them because I knew that the second I did, all of a sudden people would go ballistic before even seeing the episode itself. Like with all social media posts that I've been sharing in this, there are tons more where these came from. These are just the ones that illustrate the point. As you're looking at these, realize that all of these came out before the 60 Minutes thing aired. I think I posted the picture two days before the segment was going to air when 60 Minutes started running the promotional material for it. And this is the stuff that started coming my way. Attack, 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 attack. Because in their minds, this gives me legitimacy. Anytime I went on the news, attacks. Didn't matter if it was Fox, didn't matter if it's CNN, didn't matter if it's 60 Minutes. I had to be silenced. And you could see some of the stuff they continued writing. So once again, to recap, do you think that I was the target of gaslighting or gaslit, as it were, told blatant lies about me? 
denied they ever said something. Use what is near to dear to you as ammunition. Wear you down over time. Actions do not match their words. Throw in positive reinforcement to confuse you. Maybe they didn't do that. I don't think I ever saw positive reinforcement. I did have some interesting meetings with people that I thought were a positive step, but turns out they were just trying to waste my time. That seems to be a new activist model where they just want to take you away from what you should be doing to waste time with them, which is just kind of twisted. Ah, they know that confusion weakens people, which is why they come up with crazy names. They project the very things they were doing to me. They were accusing me of. They try to align people against you. Definitely did that. They tell you or others that you are crazy. Got a lot of that. They tell everyone else. They tell you everyone else is a liar. Well, there you have it. There's the basic summary of my presentation. If you want to get a hold of me, here's some contact information for you to have. So that way you can have a discussion with me. If you want to continue the discussion, if you want to see ways you can combat anti-Semitism near you, if you're thinking about running for office and you want some pointers, things to avoid, want me to talk you out of it, want me to talk you into it, happy to have those discussions. I thought this would be a little bit of a taste of what I experienced during the campaign. Do I regret running? Nope. Because this way I could say I tried and none of those keyboard social justice warriors living in their mom's basement did. They are content to just bring down a person and criticize and criticize and criticize without actually putting themselves out there. And that's a shame. And this may be why we don't see better people running for office. This may be why we see so many political scandals, because when you're swimming in this kind of cesspool, these are the kind of people you attract. These are the kind of people you deal with on a day to day basis. I'll tell you, it was very hard to keep myself sane during this whole thing. Many times I wanted to hit back. Many times I wanted to just, you know, go full scorched earth on all this and, you know, attack people and and get upset and post things online. Never physically, of course. And luckily I had my wife who said, nope, we don't roll that way. So I'm still able to look myself in the mirror after a political campaign. And I wonder how many of these other people who wrote all this stuff online are able to do that. I actually wonder where their parents are. I know that my parents see the stuff I write online. If they think I crossed the line or something, they may say something to me or they think, oh, you shouldn't have posted that. And I wonder who raised these people because it would say a lot about the kinds of people that they are. Hope you enjoyed. Please be in touch.